Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Jessica Jackley. Jessica Jackley is an entrepreneur and investor whose work focuses on making big bets on the goodness of all. Currently, she's the founder of Altris, offering at-home, kid-friendly volunteer projects for families and a co-founder and general partner at Untapped Capital. Jessica is best known as the co-founder of Kiva, the world's first crowdfunding site, allowing anyone to lend as little as $25 at 0% interest to entrepreneurs around the world. Since it launched in October 2005, Kiva has facilitated over $1.5 billion in loans. She holds an MBA from Stanford GSB and teaches social entrepreneurship at the Marshall School of Business, which is also my alma mater. Jessica lives in Los Angeles with her husband and their four children. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy to be here today. Thank you for being here. To start off, I wanted to ask, what is your biggest mom win of the week? Of the week. Okay, where are we in space and time here? It's Thursday. So what happened? Great question. I want to... I mean, there's just so many victories. So let me, <laughs> I will say this. So I do, I write quotes on the mirror every day for my kids, like whether it's something inspirational or funny or spiritual, anything. And um, we are doing all sorts of MLK junior quotes this week. And my kids, I asked them in the car, if I drive them to school or I asked them after, like, what was the quote? Did you see it? What did you think? Do you have questions? And they like all three could say it. They could say the quotes. What was the quote? The first one that I wrote on Tuesday, because there was no school Monday, of course, was if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But by all means, keep moving. Now, the, the other one was, of course, I mean, the, the, it's funny because to us, we're like, yeah, we've heard that one before. And they're amazing. But like, but they're, they're all new to the kiddos, right? The other one was, um, and they don't, they don't, certainly don't lose their, their power just because um, we might've heard them. The other one was darkness can't drive out darkness. Only light can do that hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that and they they loved them and they got them and yeah that that was my victory of the week they like saw it while they brushed their teeth and they they remembered it so do you like write it on the bathroom mirror i do i have like i i I have whiteboard markers that i i I do little decorations like pre-dawn when my almost two-year-old wakes up and we're in there brushing our teeth i'll i'll make sure i get a quote up there or sometimes sometimes i get my act together and do it the night before how do you pick your quotes of the day Kind of go with like what's on theme, what's in their mind, what's sometimes I did. I did a long run of like funny ones because there's a, a cafe that we drive by that has a billboard in the mornings that has a billboard with like joke ones on it. Like the early bird gets the worm, but the what is it? But the second mouse gets the cheese, and they're like, "What? What does that mean?" And we had to like unpack it. So they <laughs> like riddle ones, they like funny ones, but I I also try to do you know a little dose of scripture, whether it's, again, whether we like end up getting to really unpack it or not, just so it's, it's there. And it's sort of like chewing gum for their brains to just meditate on and think on. I I want those things to be, you know, absorbed 
That's really cool. I feel like I'm going to have to implement something like that. I used to have like those Mary Engelbert calendars that used to be like the like quote a day. And I loved reading those, but I never thought of translating that to like my kids. Well, I have a pro tip. If you do it in the bathroom, definitely like the whiteboard marker on the mirror is a good one. I did post-its for a while, I think two years ago. And then I would like write them and they'd see it on the mirror. And then I kind of (laughs) decorated in quotes. It wasn't that, yeah. The wall, I would like move the better ones that sort of survived the steam from showers and splashes from washing faces and toothbrush flicks, you know, the ones that stayed intact, I'd kind of line them up on the wall so we could look at them and post-its like leech. So I have these patches because I had all these different colors, like especially the pink one, it will not come off. I'm going to have to wallpaper the thing or paint over it. It's terrible. I've had these like stains on the wall now. So I would say whiteboard marker, Write it down, erase it, let it go, and move on because the post-its were damaging. <laughs> good, good tip. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, post-its are small, so I feel like a quote to read on it is really small, but it also encourages reading. Like, I think that would be great because my six-year-old, like, needs to practice that. So that would, yep. that's fun. Well, yeah. to give the audience a little bit of context, let me know about your family kind of structure. How many kids do you have? What are the roles that you and your partner play? Sure. My husband, Reza, is love of my life. He's, he's amazing. He's an author and a professor and like legit has eight or nine jobs. He, he has a production company. He just finished his sixth book and turned in the final edits two days ago. So the, the mood in our home today is like great <laughs> because after Tuesday night, when he turned it in, like we all sort of breathe the side really. So he's incredible. And we parent very, I will say like, we do different things. We have different roles, but we parent in a very balanced and equal way. And I believe one of the things, one of the many gifts that we've been given is we started off with twins. So our two oldest are identical boys, Cyrus and Jasper. And so when you kick off parenting that way, (laughs) it's not like, oh, honey, can you hold the baby while I shower? Like we were both always holding somebody, both always doing something. I mean, I was tandem breastfeeding and just like topless on the couch for six months, but, um, in general, there was always something to do. So we were always both in it and in the trenches together, which really, I believe, set us on a great path of continuing to sort of equally co-parent. By the way, you're brave. A lot of people that I know who have twins don't go for a third. Don't yeah, like well, go we for the next one. And for, right? So what's yeah. funny, it's like altitude training. After that, <laughs> everything else is like, oh, like you, super like easy. You, this is terrible. But you, you basically say like, oh, it's just one. It's only one at a time. Like we can do this. And so we we had Asa three years later. So he just turned seven. And then it was a very civilized amount of time. <laughs> we waited five whole years to have Soraya, who's almost two, as we had discussed. And it is each, I feel like each time it's new again, you remember different things, different, you know, each kid is different. Even ident- genetically identical creatures are different, which is a whole mind bender, like same input, same moment in time, whoop, different outputs. And yeah. so the question of nature nurture is like right there is some sort of bizarre social experiment in front of you. And I actually think it's, so, it's like something else. I don't know if it's epigenetics. I don't know what it is, but I watch them have the same stuff the same message, the same, same choice. And they just pick, they just yeah. like choose what they're going to do. It is really hard to figure out and amazing and interesting. Anyway. So I'm always curious that like, what is nurture and then what is like genetically programmed? Cause even with three kids and not twins, like you see so much difference. And I'm like, how are you like that? You grew up, like, it's not birth order. It's not this, yeah. like, it's just something yeah. about them. Were the uh, I was gonna say uh, I had a friend who had twins and then who had went for a third and had twins again. I mean, <laughs> were that's you like at all nervous? 
<laughs> you know, twins are don't even, I mean, until now, Ren and our family, and basically we knew we could do it if that's what happened. And we just, you know, I feel like you're always sort of opening yourself up to all possibilities that the universe has to offer. And you, I don't know, like you end up just, you don't get to choose. There's a lot you don't get to choose. Although as it goes, it's like, I would, I couldn't imagine yeah. anything per- more perfect. So are you going to go for five? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I, I'm so irrational about it. Like that is, that would be stretching all factors, right? All budgets, all everything. We feel complete. We feel really good. And um, the thing that for, I've had health, I've been very fortunate to have healthy pregnancies and yet it's still like a two year cycle, right? Like you can't wrestle. I couldn't wrestle with the boys when I was pregnant with Soraya. I I couldn't, I couldn't like really get in there. So you feel sort of like your the volumes turned down on or something like on your ability to really jump in, at least for me, the way that I, I would usually, and then you are your babies. Like you are owned by that baby for, for indefinitely. And so I feel honestly, like the two-year mark is a big one. Same as we approach it. I finally feel yeah. like we can travel, we can do things. I mean, thanks yeah. COVID, but you know, it's yeah. like, I feel like finally we're able to get out more like that first year is so hard. And like, it's just, and you to don't do realize it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Although didn't you feel, this is how I felt. I mean, again, all blessings, all, all gifts all the time. The timing was very interesting though, because being in the fourth trimester and just, we would have hunkered down and life would have been slow and close to home regardless. And then when it needed to be because of COVID, I felt almost like we had a weird head start and almost as if the rest of the world was sort of validating, like everyone was doing it. Like there was zero FOMO. There was nothing to out on, right? So we just felt lucky. I completely resonate. Like for the first year, I couldn't tell anyone that I actually was enjoying it because I felt really guilty, but I really did because we had to can, like our friends were celebrating birthdays and doing all these things and everything got canceled and I knew I would have a newborn. So I'm like, oh, I can't go to that. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't fly over here because I'm going to have like a six week old. And when everything got canceled, I mean, part of me was like, Ah, welcome to my newborn fourth trimester. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was nice. My husband actually got to be home. Mm-hmm. He got to be there with the kids. And it's those little moments of time, like that you don't realize throughout the day. Like, even if it's 15 minutes, like, honey, can you just sit here so I can take a shower? That you don't realize like how amazing it was to all be home. Like, yes, it was hard homeschooling and doing all that. And I know we were very fortunate, but it just, it was kind of nice. <laughs> I, I feel like it was awesome. I, Soraya is so attached to her brothers and they are so attached to her. It was like bonding. A lot of Although sweetness. does Soraya like question now when any of you leave the house? Because Zoe is like, huh? Like, daddy, where you go? Where you right, go? And right, it's like, right. no, daddy's not always home. No, mommy's not always home. Like we go places. Well, you know, it's funny. We both actually work from home. And so oh. we're kind of around, but it is harder when her brothers are gone and she gets, she, she has some like, it's nice. She's quiet time and a, some focused like one-on-one with, with an adult, but um, yeah, yeah. We, we interrupt our days a lot to go upstairs and sneak in some hugs. Well, before I jump into why you decided to start a company and everything in the middle of a pandemic and with, you know, a new baby and stuff with four children, let's back this up a bit. Let's back Uh, it up. Yes. And I want to talk about like pre-kid life, starting Kiva and just the transition to why did you leave there and how did, when did you have kids amongst this? Because I know you started Kiva in 2005. You know, Mm -hmm. when did you actually exit that and, you know, did kids come into play with any of this? And then, you know, 
how did kids change your journey? Yeah. Well, I'll fast forward through a number of years, but Kiva started more or less after college. It was a few years out, three years out. And it was this very night, like beautifully naive sort of what if idea based on just a very, like a very pure belief in the potential of other human beings and a curiosity about what would happen if we connected people in a different way, not through a donation, not through an, you know, an interest bearing investment um, or some kind of like financial upside there, right. Any kind of structure that way. But if it was just a charitable loan, no interest to the lender that would come back, hopefully not always 98, it turns out almost 99% of the time it, it has, we thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we could have all of our friends, and I'm saying our, um, my co-founder Matt and I said, would it be interesting if we could have our friends and family lend $25 or more to our new friends in Uganda, who I had met while I was doing an internship there? Wouldn't that be like a, a fun, <laughs> again, kind of experiment to do? And so we had first seven entrepreneurs that I, I, I tromped around uh, Uganda, took pictures, wrote down their stories, uploaded the information to this like crazy dial-up connection. And then we basically scammed our friends and family and said, hey, here are my new friends. One's a goat herder, one's a seamstress, one's a farmer, et cetera. They each need 300 or 500 bucks. It's like $3,000 at first. And spammed them, said, we think it'll work. What do you say? The money came in. Very, very like not tech savvy at the time in terms of what we had set up. We just wanted to try to start. So it was like, you know, my grandma handed me a 20 and not, not like online processing, nothing like that at the time. So basically that worked. Our seven entrepreneurs and their $3,000 was a little mini success round, right? A little mini success story. So that led us to do another round and another and another. And formally we sort of attempted to do it for real after that first $3,000 round of loans in October of 05. And it turns out that first year we facilitated about 500,000 in loans. It took five different countries, I believe, Uganda being the first. Then the next year it was 15 million, the next 40, the next 100. And then it's at like 1.6 or 1.7 billion today. Wow. And these loans from everyday people, $25 at a time, you know, to other everyday people who need that financial boost at the moment to, to pursue their entrepreneurial projects and dreams. So that did was you, I was going to say, did you have an entrepreneurial background at all? Like what no. got you inspired to even say like, let's just, it was like a yeah. project you said. So you were experimenting, you were playing in the sandbox. You were just, yeah. yeah, let's see what happens. And I think so many good things happen that way. So many good things happen out of curiosity and a focus on the thing itself, not you know, I, I've done as, as again, as you, as you and I discussed, our paths have crossed through USC years back. I speak to a lot of students who have a great desire to be entrepreneurs. And when I ask them a little more about that, oftentimes, um, you know, what do you, what is the space that you want to play in? Who are the people that you want to serve? What's the sort of theory of change that is most exciting to you? What anything, right? And if they come back with like, I don't know, I just want to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. I think to myself, oh, okay, okay. It's like, you want to be a pro <laughs> athlete, but you haven't chosen a sport. Like just pick something, be passionate about that thing. And the rest you can kind of build around. So for me, it was never, I never had an intention of going to start something that would become this behemoth sort of nonprofit unicorn. I thought I want to serve my new friends. I want to do this experiment with people that I know and love back home. I want to, I want to understand what happens when people are connected through this, this loan, um, this equal sort of partnership relationship that could be created by this exchange of information and capital that's not a traditional um, sort of 
donor beneficiary hierarchy where there's there's necessarily this sort of structure of of inequality. And then it's not a bad thing. Donations are needed, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole other conversation. But I, that was a what if, it was a what if. And so, yeah, we, we were playing and then it took off. So that was an amazing first <laughs> attempt. It was amazing, amazing thing to be a part of. And an I'm accidental really entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. And I realized, I mean, super selfishly, when I look at that experience, I the thing that it gave me was this galvanization that I could go build stuff, build stuff that could be almost anything, right? Like yeah. I had growing up thought business was about being selfish. Business was about gaining for oneself, sort of tricking people to, into giving you their money for stuff that they didn't need. I mean, it was really negative. And I very quickly, after I graduated college, came to understand, actually, actually, there are people using business skills and entrepreneurial thinking to do amazing things, whether it's a for-profit, nonprofit, or any hybrid, anything in between. You know, it's ta- there are tax codes, not religions. You can sort of get things done and have values and have more than one bottom line in any structure. And there's a lot of weird baggage that comes with non- the nonprofit culture or for-profit culture, but you, you can have businesses that are scaling and doing incredible things that are actually beautifully impactful and, and, and again, pure, right? You can also have nonprofits that are that you would think, right? Everyone believes are just the best thing that the salt of the earth and, and doing good for people. And there's a lot of amazing organizations that absolutely are doing that, but it doesn't, it's not a guarantee. There, there are little nonprofits that are really inefficient with their resources, for example. So anyway, that was my first thing. And then to really fast forward over about a decade, I, I started other ventures. Uh, I mean, several for-profits, other small projects that never did turn into anything else. And that was okay. They were interesting experiments to run. I wrote a book. I started to teach at USC. I did a few EIR gigs. And at what point in this journey did you have your twins? Like where, what were you doing at the time you had your twins? That's a great question. So I had my second startup going and had raised my first round of capital. And then I raised my second round of capital and found out that I was pregnant with twins. It's funny. There was actually, you can still dig it up and and read, read them now. But one of my investors at the time basically wrote a blog post. I hadn't shared with the world that I was pregnant yet. I mean, my family knew and my colleagues knew, but that was it. And in a very public way, sort of outed me and wrote a blog post that was basically, I just invested in an entrepreneur. Now she's pregnant with twins and I have some doubts. And I basically called and had a very civil conversation and offered his money back. He didn't want it back. (laughs) And basically we were able to like repair and move forward. But I wrote sort of responses to his piece that got published in a number of places that basically said, I can do both the job before me as a founder and CEO of this company and as a new parent to be, you know, the truth is the startup later became, we, we sort of hit a wall and knew that we would either have to do a lot of pivoting, a lot of rebuilding, basically laws changed around which we had built our core product. The Jobs Act became a thing. And without going into that legal rabbit hole, down, down that rabbit hole, basically we had built something that was about to become very, not as relevant with the Jobs Act coming to fruition. And so we ended up later, wind, after I'd given birth, winding down the company and not raising a new round of funding, even though we had an offer, we had offers on the table. And I look back at that. The thing that, that was very interesting to me is I sort of came... I, I burst onto the scene as a parent, not just with twins and a startup that had just received some, you know, a second round of funding, but sort of ready to fight and prove myself. Like I had, I had already written these pieces that sort of announced to the world, watch out, I can do it all. And could I? Yes. Did I feel a few months in to the, to that? Did I feel like 
I was doing myself and my startup and my twins the the greatest service by trying to like, I had sort of a chip on my shoulder, right? And just for my own emotional journey, it was, it wasn't fun. It wasn't, I wasn't being gentle with myself at all. It wasn't that long ago, but I, I wasn't thinking in terms of fourth trimester. I thought, you know, newborns are, especially tiny little twin newborns, they sleep a lot. It, you know, you have that adrenaline filled like rush at the beginning where you think it's going to, you don't understand how it's always changing, always evolving. And for a while I thought, oh my gosh, I have my plan. I know how to do this. I have the, the additional help and care that I need. But I realized that I realized that it wasn't necessarily the path that was going to be best, not just for the startup, but for me. And so I did take a step back. I mean, I ended up becoming a venture partner right away in a brand new fund. Like I still had work before me, but I decided that that was, you know, I, want, I guess, I guess what I wish I could have told myself then is it's no one's business. You, you make your choices and learn as you go. You don't need to like prove anything to anyone. And I don't know that I would have made any different choices necessarily, but it would have been a lot gentler on me and on my sort of ability to be really present and truthful about the highs and the lows of those very early days as a brand new parent. I just felt like I had to be so tough about it. And that, that I look back and I like feel bad for that person. I'm like, oh, you, it was a lot. It's a, of course it was super hard and, and that's okay. But I felt so defensive going into it. So anyway, that's, that's, a, that's a lot about the first round of children. No, but knowing that with your twins yeah. moving forward, you had two others while still, you know, launching companies doing that. How did that change the way you approached your next venture? And, yeah. you know, what did that look like the next pretty much 10 years? Yeah, yeah. You know, there were a few things I became, I sort of thought, I mean, you, you never know with each kid what they will need, who they will be, how you will be. There's always different things, right, that come up. And so I think knowing that I couldn't know until it was unfolding and giving myself space and a little, I'm so sorry for that, was that me? And a little gentleness, a little kindness to myself, knowing that I would allow myself some wiggle room to see what I needed in those moments. Sometimes I was able to do a a lot more professionally than I had anticipated. Sometimes it was less, sometimes it wasn't about more or less. It was just a different way of getting things done or different path than I thought I might've chosen early on. Yeah. With Asa, I was working as a, uh, the first entrepreneur in residence at Disney Imagineering and wow. it was a sweet, fun gig, right? It was an amazing experience to, to be there. And I, I really felt unapologetic when he arrived. I would bring him everywhere. I would nurse him everywhere. I just, I wasn't going to, I was going to make it my own version of things, you know, and I wasn't going to look around for approval or does anyone else think I'm doing a good job here? Does this investor or this person or that person approve of like how I'm getting all my things done. I just got it done and I did it my way. Did any of this like change the way you've like managed companies too? Like, did you implement any policies and things like that, that you've changed throughout the years? You're like, wait, actually, we're going to have a better like maternity program or we're going to have a better whatever that is. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I, I have not, all my companies have been small and early stage, but the way that we have set culture, that's probably the biggest piece has absolutely been, I think I'd like to, I, I hope so. I mean, I've gotten this feedback and centered around a lot of flexibility, a lot of respect and honor for whether it's, whether it's welcoming a new child or any other life change, but just for the balance of personal and professional, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering now with Asa, I remember among, any, among other things, like I gave lectures with him on my boob, actually, when he was two weeks old, I had to do like a 
it sounds crazy now with COVID and the world being full of germs and things to think about taking a two week old out into a lecture hall, but I did. And I just wore my little Third child problems. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it's funny, among other things, I took him to Ted women and we didn't even go into the main room, like with the big red circle where things are being recorded. We were like in a breakout area, kind of watching things on screens. But at one point, an ill-informed, I think he like worked at the hotel where it was being held. He was not sort of in tune with Ted women's, I think policies or anything else, but he basically said, is this person ticketed? And I was like, he's five months old and he's nursing and asleep in the sling. What are you talking about? They asked me to leave the room. And so I made a big stink about it. And that was, it got, it got in the New York times. We about like mother nursing mother asked to leave Ted women because of bringing a nursing. <laughs> so I think that's one little nice data point or one little mini story about, I just never never apologize for parenting my children. They are and always will be my priority and I will get my jobs done. But they, even even in this, now this time of Zooming and chaos going on in the background, oftentimes, like I've, I've made a point to do my best to never apologize for interruptions from my kids because they bear the priority, full stop. That's why I named this Mommy's on a Call because it's okay if your kids come running in. I generally say mommy's on a call, but you know, it happens. It's life now. And that's incredible that you incorporate that in and you should never apologize. I feel like you're the pioneer in not only like social entrepreneurship, but a pioneer in, you know, women's kind of like rights in the <laughs> workplace and gender equality and all of that. I appreciate that. I'm doing my best. I think we all show up and do it differently and we all prefer different things. Like some people don't want their kiddos they need some space to focus. And I get that too. So you know what I mean? We all do it our own way. And I think that's the whole point. We should all have an option. So now we're in the middle of a pandemic and you have a newborn. Is and it you... still the middle? Oh, it... exactly. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Back. well I, I want mean, to be we're, done. We're starting, uh, I guess we're going on year three, Let's whatever. Go back in time. We're going to go back to now you have a newborn. And when did you come up with the idea for Altruis and kind of what made you decide, okay, I have four kids now and it's a pandemic. I'm just going to start another company. I mean, totally, a lot totally. of moms out there. And I ask this because we all make excuses. We all say, oh, maybe, you know, when the kids are older or, you know, not right now is not a good time. You seem to have launched it at a time where most people would say it's not a good time. So yeah. what happened for you? And also what did kind of the behind the scenes look like to make it happen, especially at home? So I, for years... My husband and I have done, it's like our main family, uh, extracurricular is the wrong word, but like an ongoing passion project, uh, I guess, to explore different world religions with our kids. My husband is a scholar of religions. That doesn't hurt. He's pretty encyclopedic. I can kind of be like, hey, tell them tell them that story about the man that pops out of the peapod. It's like, it's actually a Native American like origin story. Anyway, it's amazing. So he's, he's able to sort of pull out a lot of stuff easily, quickly and tell stories of many other belief systems, many other cultures. And for us, it's just very important that we are raising religiously literate kids because I do think it ties to cultural literacy, empathy, all sorts of good stuff. So that's been our project. And I say that because for years we thought, what could we build or make or provide for parents that want to teach their kids these core and common values around, especially in interfaith families or inner, you know, family. When I say interfaith, I actually mean like interbelief. Maybe one parent has no faith background and is agnostic or atheist. That counts too. So any kind of different belief systems coming together in a family unit, how do parents navigate that? And for us, we've been able to spend a lot of time making our own curriculum up, like making up, making up these 
projects and stories on Sundays with their kiddos. So we were thinking, could we make this into something more helpful for other families? And that basically evolved into some experiments that we ran and some some fun Sunday afternoons spent with neighborhood friends and, and families around us doing reading a scripture, singing a song, learning a lesson, hearing a story and doing projects. And what really resonated when you, when we stepped back after a few months of doing this, the projects, particularly the service projects really resonated. So you pair that with my own personal feelings of disappointment in myself for not, not having gotten out the door with my kids more in the first 10 years of the twins life to volunteer. We have a handful of times and We continue to try to make that happen, although it's been really hard in the last two years. But I felt like when Soraya was born, it sort of is a play. It was a moment in time for me to step back and say, like, how are we doing? Are we achieving all the goals, if you will, in air quotes, all all of our sort of greatest wishes for what we want to teach our kids, like what's most important here? And we were missing the mark on service. So I thought as I am, you know new babies at home, the way we interacted with the world was through the boxes that showed up at the door. And we were so fortunate to have that be the case. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if it wasn't just things arriving that we consume, but things arriving that would give us tools and learning materials to be able to turn around and give back and reach back out into the world in a positive way. Like what if there was a service project that kind of came in a box? And in, I was very inspired by the Love Everys, the Kiwi Crates and all those that we've you know subscribed to for a long time. And I thought, what if it went beyond, again, I'm doing air quotes here because I have all the respect in the world for those companies and others like them, but beyond just let's consume, some, just let's read a book or just let's make a science project. But what if we could do something useful or helpful for other human beings or animals or the planet? And that was the idea for Altruist. So today we create kid-friendly and family-friendly volunteer and service projects in a box. And you can sign up to subscribe monthly, or you can just come to the site, pick issues that you care about and get one off boxes and projects. We're about to launch group options. So if there's, you know, Girl Scout troops or church groups or classrooms that want to do this, that'll be more possible. But right now we've, um, we have a box on homelessness and the unhoused. We have one on clean water. We have one on hunger and food insecurity. We have one on saving the pollinators. We have one on energy poverty. We have one on refugees. Kids can make a welcome kit for a new arrival refugee kiddo in, in their community. And then all the things are included, right? Materials and pre- posted mailer to send back projects when that's relevant. But some of the projects also are like about doing better at home. So we have one, our next box is on uh, shelter pets and kids make toys for dogs and cats, but we have one with Audubon coming up that we're super excited about where kids can help make their own homes safer and more friendly for migratory birds. And so you don't necessarily always make or gather something and send it off. You often do projects at home too. I love it. That's, we, that's altruist. So we got the homeless homelessness <gasps> box. And so it's amazing. And I went through it. Honestly, the connect. So um, for those out there who can't see this, there's five mini books in there. That's learn, connect, act, give, and do more. And the stories that they put in it, talking about, you know, an actual child that's homeless, like almost made me cry. I was like, <gasps> and then ironically, I wanted to show you this, which I know we're on a podcast, so people that's can't okay. see it. But it my happy. son actually for school, ironically had a help the homeless no. project that he brought home yesterday. And I was like, I was like, this is so crazy and serendipitous because we literally are talking about like, we all need shelter and why. And he goes, oh, mommy, we need to make a kit for homeless people. And I was like, huh? Like, wait, I'm so confused. What's going on? So it's amazing that like it ties in. So the lessons you learn, the stories and all of that, I, I just love it because 
for me, giving back has been part of my life ever since I was little. Like, and now I sit on the board of a nonprofit. Like, it's just, it's something that I've always done. Community service, giving back, volunteering. And I was always looking for ways to involve the kids because sometimes it's hard to bring like a four-year-old to the food pantry or, and really all they could do is like clean a beach because that's like the safest, easiest thing for them to do. And there's not, it's not the impact. Like, and so I love getting them involved in things where they actually like meet the people or see that. And like, it's just, it's amazing what you're doing and learning about all the issues in the world. So thank you. That makes makes my day. I'm so glad that it was a success in your home. And, you know, we're still so new, so we are really eager to get this right or even more right. And so we're super open to feedback if there, and if anyone is listening and has, you know, an idea for a group that could use our projects or even a nonprofit that you think would be a great partner or a project or an issue, we're, we're all ears. And a lot of what we've built has been very, closely tied to, to feedback we've gotten. So if there's something out there that you're like, you know what, my kid asked me about this today and I really don't know how to talk to him about it. <laughs> Let us know. Maybe we'll get to make something that would be helpful. Actually, this is too funny not to share. My friend Leah said to me early on when I was starting to figure out what this might be and trying to figure out how much our learning materials, for example, helpful. Do you just want the project? Is a guide like FAQs and not fun facts, not so fun facts, answers to tough questions, like what would be useful there? And she said the funniest thing. She's like, oh my gosh, I so need a guide. My kids keep asking me about climate change and I don't even know what to say. I'd rather they just ask me about sex every day because at least I know the answers. And I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, this is a real pain point. Like it's scary to crack open the conversation about why this person is unhoused and asking for money, like, or why this, like, why are people hungry in the world? It's a lot. It's a tall order to translate these big issues to kids. So we want to help do that. And then also turn around and give you something to do right away that can be impactful. It's so true. It's hard to talk to them about it. So part of the nonprofit I am, I ran a program um, that was called Holiday Baskets, where it started in the Great Depression, but we put together all these essential items for a family. But then we also, on top of that, buy Christmas gifts or holiday gifts um, for each of the kids, clothes, essentials. And it's about $2,000 worth of like supplies and things. And we deliver it to a family. And this year we had about 110 families. And so I brought my kids with me to shop for them and to also deliver and all of that. And you're right. The questions that came up, it was really hard for me. Like, how do I phrase this? They're like, well, why? Like, my daughter's like, I want that doll. I'm like, oh, no, we're giving that to, you know, so-and-so. And she's like, well, why? I'm like, and I tried to explain. And it's, yeah. and so it's, it's interesting. It's like hard to, I guess, communicate and like express like what it means and like how to talk about all that. So I love how you make it very digestible. And also it's like a book you can read. And so I don't have to come up with the words. Because sometimes it's hard. Like you want to do the right thing and you want to say the right thing. But so let's back this up a little. Like you had the concept, you wanted to do this. And now like I get this pretty finished package, but where was the in-between? Like how did this, how did you make it happen at home too? You had, you know, we were in COVID, you had a new, like- How did you just develop all this? Well, as you probably have experienced in your own journey, although I don't want to ever presume, parenting, you know, having kids show up focuses you like nothing else. So you just, you do the things that are important and the rest falls by the wayside and it's fine. It's good. It's it's, um, clarifying. So when we were, I mean, as we have been for nearly two years now, staying inside, staying close to home, focusing on taking care of our people, which again, like exacerbated this feeling that we weren't giving back much or enough to the world. It was, it's like work and family. It's not like 
all these other pieces that float around that take up time. I mean, I miss them. I want to go to dinners and get out and do, do other activities. But when it was just work and family, I was really able to harshly prioritize. I was able to kind of work whatever hours I could fit in pre-dawn, late at night, during naps, whatever. And so I turned my dining room into our our little mini warehouse and packing station for the first round. (laughs) We promptly worked with a warehouse after that because it is a lot. But, you know, there's the the messy beginnings that I, I just so have a soft spot for and I love. So it was very much like, let me do this myself. I want to have my, my, my hands on every piece in the beginning. So I really understand what we're making. Is this the first physical product you've created, like in terms of your entrepreneurial journey? Because you've always done kind of like online or more. Wow. And it's so fun. And I've been, I've been, I mean, I'm saying this without mentioning the most important piece, which is I have the most incredible team and they all are so invested and they're so talented. They all, you know, I'm a believer. Somebody asked me the other day who to hire next for her startup. And I, instantly knew my answer, which was at the stage that she's at right now, the stages she's at, which is super early. You want to find generalists who are just ready and willing to jump in and do whatever needs done. Cause you all do everything at the beginning. It's, it's everybody is just picking up whatever piece needs to be done next. And so I, I now have, there's, there's four of us, myself and three others who I, I couldn't do any of this without. So who's the first person you hired? Like what was the first person on your team? I worked with her at a former job. Her name is Anne and she is just such a rock star. She is like a figure it outer, you know, and we, we, we joke that we share a brain, but we really do think, I love it because we think similarly enough that we can be super efficient. I know we share the same values, but we, I think have just enough of a difference in perspective and information and sort of like world experiences that we round each other out pretty well. So it's the right balance of complementary and overlapping. And did you fundraise at all for this? Because I mean, you have the most beautiful boxes, perfect branding, you know, a lot of moms out there who just want to start a business are like, how do I get that? Like, that's really pretty. Like, that's great. But you know, so you got funding. I did. And you know, we, we start from scratch with every box. And so I'm so glad that that's being valued because it is hard and time consuming and expensive to do, but there's so many other ways, you know, that just happened to be the thing that we decided was important for us. One of the things that was important for us, but there are always scrappier ways to go to take the first step. And then you just build. And sometimes you build more slowly, but it's, it still counts and it's still valid. I chose to raise funding, but it's not like it's ever without cost. So my investors own part of the company. And that's, I love it. I love, I'd rather have the right people on board and share the wealth, share the the ups and the downs. And I couldn't be doing what I'm doing without them. So that was something that I needed to do, but I've worked on certainly my fair share of things where I haven't raised funding at first and just scrapped it together and begged and borrowed and made it up as I went along with, you know, at the beginning, yeah, less polished outcomes, but that's okay. And you're right. A lot of the tech enabled stuff, like I feel like I know enough to be dangerous in a handful of computer languages and that sort of thing. But like, I'm so grateful that I was able to raise funding and get a ton of help on this one. So that's what I did. So now between work and kids, do you find time for yourself? And if so, what do you do for yourself? I go on walks with my daughter, which is both of us, but it's really, she, she could care. She'd be happy doing anything. And that's for me. And it brings me so much joy. We usually do early morning walks. I do yoga pretty regularly. I do my own sort of walking and hiking near our house when I can duck out for 30 minutes if there's childcare or someone else home. And then 
I write, I don't do it enough, but I really, really love it. And it helps me sort of process the world. So those are my main things, my main, you know, refueling times. But the other piece of it is, I think like learning for me, as my kids, they all do change and grow so quickly. I really am getting a lot of joy and energy lately and just making the attempt to be super present and go with their pace, not rush along. If they want to play Legos, that's what we do. If they try to really follow their lead and just not have as much of an agenda as I think I used to being super type A. And for a minute, we were a family of all oldests. My husband's an oldest, I'm an older. And then the twins came and they both kind of arrived first. So that was crazy. I'm glad we have other people to shake it up, but I'm a lot more, I just want to be with them and and see the world through their eyes. And I, I get a lot of, I actually do get a lot of energy through that if I'm not like trying to get a bunch of stuff done with them. Well, that, this is all amazing. To wrap things up, I want to ask, what do you think is your superpower you gained once you became a mom that makes you better at business or life? It's a great question. So yeah, like what did your kids help create like a new superpower for you? I felt I was surprised. This was the most surprising thing. And I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it might be perceived as a weakness, but I see it as a a real strength. I I don't, I had an instant like humility about the absolute vulnerability that new parents experience, particularly parents who have given birth mothers who have given birth. And I, I I, like, honestly, my heart just, I, I actually called friends that had had kids in the few years before me and said, I had no idea. Or I mean, wow, like, are you, I, I should have like done more for you or it's not like I wasn't involved. I just suddenly my heart understood how dependent we all are, I mean, on each other and how, how, how very sensitive, how very vulnerable new moms and tiny new babies are. And it just, it's a beautiful and super humbling moment in time. And so it just gave me a lot of like a feeling of camaraderie and just a love for all parents at every stage, but certainly those very early days. So I think, yeah, the superpower to be very specific is understanding how vulnerable we can all be and we all started out as. And so it gives me a softness that I can tap into with difficult people (laughs) or when I feel like I'm being too hard on myself. That's beautiful. And where can we find you online? Please, please, please check out altruists. It's two L's and there's an S at the end. It's plural. So A-L-L-T-R-U-I-S-T-S.com. That's where you can find my work and all the things we're about. Yeah. And it's amazing. And go subscribe to it. I'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Thank Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining today. I loved having you. I loved it too. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time. Thank you.